Kids, has anyone heard of a place called Jericho? It's in the Bible. There's a story in the Bible about a place called Jericho. You've heard about it? Do you know what happens in Jericho? What happened? Do, do you remember? No? Does anyone know? The walls fell down. The Israelites, had, had, they, they'd just gone over the river and they'd come into the promised land and God told them to march around Jericho, big, strong city. And uh, the strategy for the battle was to march around Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And after the seventh time, they gave a massive shout and the walls of Jericho fell down. It was phenomenal. It was amazing victory and they were blown away and all the other nations in the area were really worried because God had promised this land for, for uh, the Israelites. And so all the other nations were, were trembling at this point. And a lot of the time we hear this story um, and we've heard this story, but do you know what actually comes next? So we know about Jericho and we know the Israelites all of a sudden had this massive battle that they didn't really, they didn't really do that much, did they? It was actually God that made the, the walls tumble down. But we don't actually hear about the next town very often. It's a town called AI. I reckon if it was in Australia, it'd be A. It's like, I don't know, M-O-E, I don't know how you get Moe out of that, but apparently it's called Moe. And AI would be A, but it's, it's AI. And there's this town called AI, and we don't hear about what happened at AI very often because things didn't go particularly well. Joshua, the guy that was leading the Israelites, sent a, a group of people over to, to check out AI. And when they came back, they said, this is a piece of cake. This is easy. We've got 40,000 soldiers. Just send two or 3,000. We'll be fine. No worries at all. And so that's what they did. They went to AI with two or 3,000 people and they got their butts kicked. They ran. They fled for their lives because it all went south. It didn't go to plan at all. And they got back and went, what's gone wrong? And Joshua and the elders went to the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and, and they bowed down and they ripped their clothes and they laid there all day till the evening, it says. And in the evening, Joshua said to God, What's gone wrong, God? What happened? We look like idiots. You look like an idiot. Why didn't we just stay on the other side? We could have stayed on the other side of the Jordan River. Maybe we should have just been happy with that. And God said to him, get up. What are you doing laying in the sand? What are you doing laying with your face down? Stand up. And what Joshua didn't realise is that in Jericho, someone had done something against what God had told them to do. God said to him, you didn't keep my agreement. You didn't do what I asked you to do. Because God had said, don't take any of the treasure. All the gold and iron and silver and, and precious things, bring them back and, and put them in the temple, put them in the, in the sanctuary. But someone decided that they wanted to sneak some for themselves. They thought, really, does God need it all? Maybe I'll just take some for myself. And not only did they take it, but they hid it. They hid it so that no one knew that they had it. And so we don't hear about AI very often because it wasn't really much to celebrate at AI. 
It wasn't really a nice place to be. And the thing is, the the crazy thing is, and, and we sometimes struggle with this too, you can't fake it with God. You can't pretend. You can't hide things with God. It's really, it's a funny idea, but I know for myself there's times where I've kind of gone, ah, you know, I know that this is what you really want about God, but I think I'll just do my own thing. Sometimes you go, God, I give you everything, but there's little parts of me that I've kind of held on to. God's not interested in just part of us. And he wasn't interested in just some of what the Israelites were doing. He wanted them as his people. The, the thing is, it sounds almost like he's being selfish, like he's greedy. But what he actually knows is that the best for us is everything for him. That's actually the best place for us to be, is when we surrender to him, when we give him everything, that's actually the best thing that we can do for ourselves. And so it might look selfish, and, and it is, because that's, he designed it that way, but it's also the best thing. And so we're actually ripping ourselves off when, we, when we, we kind of hold back and rip God off in a way. And Jesus actually tackles this idea head on when they ask him, what's the most important commandment? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. There's nothing like him. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He's not asking for a little bit of it. The first and greatest commandment is everything. There's no in-between. Now, two weeks ago, um, Joel gave a brilliant message on the the way we look at God and, and the different characteristics of God, and sometimes we have a little bit of a narrow idea. We think that he's just a friend, or we think that he's just a father, or we think that he's just a judge. But when you look at all three of those pictures, you wouldn't recommend someone to lie to a friend. You wouldn't just tell the truth sometimes to a friend and lie other times. And with a father, you wouldn't obey the father sometimes and not other times. Your advice to someone would be, always obey your father. And a judge, you wouldn't respect the judge and then mock him other times. It doesn't matter which way you look at God. Any way you look at him, it's all. It's everything. And, and that's not to scare us. The idea isn't to, to feel judged and go, oh, I've got to give everything to God or else he's going to strike me with lightning. It's more about his desire to have wholeness in us, to have, have the best for us, that he wants us to love him with everything, trust him with everything, obey him with everything. This isn't a picture of me. Has anyone ever done a cross-country? Yeah? You've done a cross-country at school? I had to do cross-countries at school. Do you know what I thought about cross-countries at school? <laughs> I did not like cross-countries at school. But it was compulsory. The whole school had to do it. No opting out. My dad was a school teacher, which meant there wasn't even staying home, which some of my mates got to do. Their parents let them off, but mine didn't. So I had to go to school, and I looked a little bit like this kid. And the cross country would start, and it would be, you know, the two or three year levels of boys or whatever group you were grouped in. And you had to go round the oval, and then off the back of the oval, 
up through the hills of Karambara, round the back of Karambara, do a couple of laps of the paddocks, and then back up the school driveway into to, to the start of the oval again to finish. I don't know, it was five or six Ks or something like that. So, of course, we start and everybody's watching. So what do you do? You run around the oval. The sooner you get to the back of the oval, start walking. <laughs> so I'd put on a good show for the oval just to keep up with the group of people and then I'd walk around the paddocks. And then there was another guy that looked like me. Um, he wasn't the most... Um, energetic sort of person. And so we'd often kind of walk together and jog a little bit and walk. And then when we come up to the driveway of the school to come back up, it'd be a race for the finish line. And we'd get to the finish line and, you know, he'd come 51 and I'd come 52 or vice versa out of 51 or 52. Um, But it reminds me a little bit of this attitude we sometimes have to God where we think we can just put on a show for some of it and the rest of it, we just kind of, when we're not, when when God's not looking, we can just cruise. We can, the bits that we don't like, we sometimes go, ah, I'm going to leave that bit, but the bits that I do like, I'll do that part. But the idea is, the concept is that Jesus says to love with everything, to, to love with everything that we've got. And if we look at what happened in Ai versus what happened in preparation for Jericho, we see a very different picture. So in Ai, we saw, it's all right, 3,000 men, we'll be fine, we are legends, we've just conquered Jericho, the biggest, bestest, baddest city around. They were all in lockdown, we even beat that. Um, They got awesome walls. So this place, Ai, let's just throw a few thousand people into, into the army. So what did they do before they went into Jericho? What was different? It says in Joshua 5, 2-3, At the time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gabbath Haraleth, the hill of foreskins. Now I know a few people that have been to Israel and, and Jordan and I haven't got any postcards from the hill of foreskins. <laughs> It's, it's, I haven't seen it on the tourist destinations. So, so it's, a, it's a fairly apt title. I suspect they named it after this event, not before. Now, kids, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents afterwards. <laughs> so this is a pretty scary start, and it's all right. I'm not suggesting that we all go out and get circumcised. But what had happened was when they, when they, when they fled out of Egypt, they, all the men, all the, all the adult men got circumcised at Sinai. But Jesus held them back from the promised land for 40 years because they sinned. And so that group of people had died out. And so now we have all the people that had grown up had never been circumcised. And it says when they crossed the Jordan, there were 40,000 adult male soldiers. Like that was the size of their army. So we're talking 40,000 guys that get circumcised on a weekend. That's pretty major. But if you look at the purpose of circumcision, circumcision, it was an act of belonging. It was like a tattoo or a patch for a, for a, um, a motorcycle club. 
It was, a, it was a definition that you belonged to God. You were part of the family. And it was a part of the, the covenant, the agreement that God made with Abraham. And so these guys weren't just doing a crazy thing because Joshua told them to. They were actually defining their sense of belonging. They were standing up and going, I'm part of this. So you go, well, what's, what's the equivalent circumcision for, for us, for our our situation? The answer is Jesus. Because our sense of belonging, our sense, our mark, our tattoo, our brand, the thing that we carry that differentiates us is Jesus. So when someone asks you, are you really, is there, are things are really okay between you and God? Jesus. He's the answer to that question. When you go, do you really know What's going to happen for eternity? Like, do you think eternity is under control? Yep, Jesus. Here's the separation. Here's the here's the mark. Here's the here's the difference. How can you really be sure that God's looking after you? Jesus. It says in Romans three twenty five, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So you can all, all the guys can make a sigh of relief. We don't have to be circumcised. Because we wear a badge, we have a tattoo, we, we carry a brand, and that is Jesus. And I can't stress the importance of this enough. If there's one decision you're going to make in your entire life, It's believing in what Jesus did. It is the transformation of of everything and meaning and purpose of life. It it, it can't be any more important than than Jesus. And so as a church, as, as a group of people that come together, this is what we stand on. This is step number one. This is the foundation of who we are and our identity is this brand that we carry. And if you've never experienced that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards because um, it's, it's the most significant brand that you'll ever wear. But they didn't just stop there. They started there. That was step one. That was the most important thing. All get circumcised. Joshua 5.8 says, And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. They rested. Sometimes I think we have a twisted view of, of, of resting, of, of, of healing, of, of time out. Sometimes we beat ourselves up for it, but on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes we think it's the end game, it's the goal. I'll work really hard, I'll go for it, I'll save my money so that I can have a holiday, so that I can stop. And then you get back to work and it, you, know, you forget about your holiday and you go, the next goalpost is the holiday there. Long weekend, fantastic. That's where we're aiming for. So we'll work hard and then finally we can get to the destination, which is the break. And so we have this weird idea of what resting is. These guys were preparing for a battle and so they rested. The rest wasn't a destination. The rest was preparing for what was coming. And I think it's really important when we look at their preparation, that resting was really valuable. 
healing was really valuable. It wasn't to be overlooked. It wasn't to be ignored. It was actually really significant part of preparation for the battles ahead. But it wasn't the destination. It was preparation. So then we move on. Joshua 5.10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. So the Passover was the celebration of Jesus freeing them from Egypt. It was a time of remembrance, a time of celebration. And we shared communion this morning, which is where Jesus took the Passover to the next level of him being the freedom, him being the, the, um, the sacrifice. And so they stopped and they remembered who God was and where God fitted in. They, they got their bearings right. They celebrated the Passover. After that, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. They accepted God's provision. Now to us, we sometimes look at manna as being a miracle, and it is. It was an amazing provision and miracle for God, for, for God to provide in the desert. But at the same time, there was another miracle that happened here when it stopped. God kept providing. They, they, depending on which translation you read, they talk about it being the old corn. Now, so what that means is that the fields had been harvested already and there were some that was left over. Some, some corn left over that would have been left just to, just to rot, I assume. And so they went into the fields and were able to get the old corn. Um, now, we look at manna as being God's provision. But in this case, the manna stopping was actually God's provision. And they claimed it. They took it and they ate. We often measure different things as being more spiritual than others. When, when someone gives a testimony, we hear the testimonies of, of amazing provision in miraculous circumstances, and that's awesome. I'm not denying that. But the fact you got a paycheck this week was God's provision. The fact that your family is together is God's provision. And sometimes we, we, we want to elevate some things and forget all the other things that God's doing. So when I, when I ask someone, what did God do in your week this week? Often there's a blank face. Nothing particular. He did. He was active the whole week. He's been moving and working and reminding you and, and helping you. And, and yet sometimes we ignore the normal things and the provision of those normal things. But they took that. They, they were out of manna, no more manna but they claimed the food of the land of, of Canaan. This part's cool, I like this bit. Just after that, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now this is a bit of a quirky picture. But if you actually break it apart, it was a man called himself the commander of the Lord's army that Joshua bowed down to and he didn't say, hey, hey, no, 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 stand up. He said, you're on holy ground. What does that add up to you? Jesus. This was Jesus. There's only one person that I know that's, that's holy, that's a man that deserves to have someone bow down to, and that's Jesus. The other interesting thing that I find fascinating is that when he asked whose side you're on, he said, neither. Whose side he's on? I'm on God's side. Which is fascinating because he turned up not to fight for the Israelites, he turned up to fight for God. So when we talk about 100%, giving it all, he was like, I'm not even here for you. You're going to benefit and bear the fruit of what I'm doing, but I'm here for God. And it's an amazing picture, an amazing um, position that we see Jesus in. Because when we see Jesus as our friend, and when we see Jesus as our father, sometimes it's like, what can I get out of him? What, what does he have to offer me? And yet, what he has to offer you is God's agenda. And in this case, it was no different. Are you on our side or not? I'm not on your side and I'm not on um, neither. <laughs> because I'm, I'm obeying God. I'm following God's will and plans and purposes. And guess what? Happens to bless you as well. That's a bonus. And I think it's an amazing picture of preparing for a battle, going, this guy with a sword is going, I'm not on your side, but guess what? I'm about to lead your army into battle because I represent and I, I stand for God who happens to have this victory for you. And Joshua's response, reverence, he showed reverence and he obeyed. What else can you do in that circumstance? There's nowhere else to go, especially because he had a sword. <laughs> so when you see what God's plan for them, when they plan for this battle, God set them apart, number one. That was the first thing. They then rested and healed in preparation. He reminded them of the freedom, of the liberation, of, of, their, of the perspective of where they sat in his picture. He provided for them. And he led them, which Joshua then responded by obeying. Their preparation was for Jericho was all about God. Every part of that picture was about God. And when I look at that picture, I'm not fighting Jericho. But when I look ahead at what's in front of me, I want it to be all about God. I know that's the best. I know that's the position that is the most fruitful for me and brings the most glory to him. I don't want to be a weekend warrior. You know, the army reserve where, where you kind of, you might get called up, you do a bit of training every now and again, and you might get called up one day. That's not 
the way God looks at us. I look back and I sometimes think how stupidly I held on to things. There's, there's treasures that I've hold, held on to, things that I thought were precious. But they haven't been part of that 100% giving it all to God. Some of my plans are selfish. Sometimes I'm just thinking about what suits me. But God and I both know that unless I give it all, unless that's my heart's desire, it's not the best place to be. Sometimes I want Jesus to fight my battles for me. And yet he doesn't call me to that. He calls me to fight as part of his battles, to be part of his army, to be part of his strategy. When we read a simple verse like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. All these other things are the battles that I think are important. He goes, no, 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 no. Come fight my battle and that will happen. I will look after you. I will protect you. I have a plan and purpose for you. I won't desert you. But come with me to my battle, to my plans and purposes, to my kingdom's agenda. There was a prophetic word given to Catalyst um, May last year. And it and it was the picture of Jericho was in that picture. And I want to share it with you. Sorry about the little words. He reminded me that we're in a battle. He showed me that we are like the Israelites marching around Jericho. We're on the, on the seventh day and we've already done six laps. We're tired. Not a single brick has moved and the enemy has snuck into our camp and is saying, did God really say that? Did God really say that all things are possible with him? Did God really say that he would heal your sickness? Did God really say that this is the right path, the right job, the right school for you? Did God really say that this person is the right person to spend the rest of your life with? Did God really call me to this ministry, to this vision? Did God really say that there was going to be breakthrough? And I believe the answer is yes, he did. I feel like God is saying that we're on the edge of breakthrough. We're heading into the seventh lap and there's a new season coming. It's a season that we're going to see God move like he has never before, like he never has before. We're going to see the thing, sorry, we're going to start to see the things that many of us have been longing for in our hearts for a long time. We're going to see more people coming into the kingdom. We're going to see more of the gifts in action, but not just in the church, outside the church as well. We're going to see more of the prophetic. We're going to see more healings. We're going to see more people set free from addictions and come to the freedom that only Jesus can give. Now that paints a picture to me of what victory looks like, of what the battle that I want to be fighting looks like. And I look at that and go, what has my preparation been like for this battle? Where do I sit? What's my commitment to this battle? Can I look at that first commandment and say, yep, all my heart, 
all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, everything. I'm committed to this battle. And it's been a reminder to me of that sometimes I'm not like that. Sometimes half is enough. 80% is enough. Whatever's left over maybe is enough. And this reminds me of what my purpose is, what my desire is, what my heart is. And I look at um, the things that there's, we're, we're doing. We're looking at spiritual gifts in Activate Groups. And on the surface, it might look like, you know, what's God given me? And that's a fantastic question to ask. But underneath it, what are we armed with for battle? That's the question. What am I equipped with to fight this battle, to fulfill this word, to make what God's put in front of us actually happen? On Sunday evenings, we've been looking at um, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And just a plug, it's on tonight, 7.30. Last one. But again, you look at it and just go, oh, it's good to learn about, you know, what Ephesians teaches about the fivefold ministry. But underneath it, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That sounds like a battlefield to me. That sounds like a place where, as a body, we are an army that is equipped to serve, to, to minister, to make a difference, to extend the kingdom, to do these things. And so this morning, I really want to encourage you just to do a personal check. Is there some treasure that you are holding on to? Is there something that is precious to you, but you know God's gone, come on, let go. Are the decisions you're making, kingdom decisions, is your heart sold out? Do you carry that, that brand, that, that, that Jesus mark as the one defining factor of who you are, your identity? Because I know I don't, but that doesn't reflect my desire to. And so the only place we're left with is to go back to what they did to prepare. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. Our preparation, our, our orientation, our focus is all about God. That's all we've got left to. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Let go. And that freaks me out. Partly because I'm a control freak. I like to know what's going on. But I've got to let go. That's one of the areas that I've just got to let go of. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't guarantee anything. Nothing. I can't guarantee anything. But I can let go and say, God, if I'm in your army, if I'm part of your plan, if this family is where we're going, then I trust you. I trust you. I've got to let go. So just spend a moment just on your own, just with the Lord, to say, God, I'm not talking about digging up things from your past. I think um, Simone talked about letting go of those things from your past. I'm not, I'm not saying let's, let's go on a witch hunt. I'm just saying if there's things that the Lord's placed on your heart, 
Give them to him. Let's pray. God, we look at these right people and we, we see your provision, your hand, your purpose, your goodness, your grace and your mercy. Lord, we see how much you loved them, how much you desired the best for them. And yet we also stand back and we laugh at how silly they were, obeying you today and then ignoring you tomorrow. And yet, God, when we look at our own lives, there's a part of that in us too. And, Lord, we're sorry for that. That's not, that's not where we want to be, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be half-hearted for you. We don't want to be weekend warriors, Lord. We don't want to be people who pick and choose when we serve you and when we serve ourselves, Lord. And Lord, the only way we can do that is by your Spirit. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal in us the areas you want us to grow, to learn. Lord, we love you. Lord, we desire to serve and worship you for all our days, Lord God. We just invite you to lead us in that, Lord.